0: Hi everyone, welcome to the second episode of Hyperreal Film Club Presents Texas Film in Focus. I'm your host, Samantha Ray Lopez, and I want to take some time at the top to say a huge thank you to everyone who's helped make this launch successful. I truly had no idea what to expect putting this out there into the world, and I am overjoyed at the response I've gotten so far. Y'all have been so wonderful and supportive. It's just given me more fuel to keep going and truly put my heart and soul out there through this podcast. So thank you. Thank you. If you're a new listener, welcome and thanks for tuning in. I highly recommend taking a listen to the previous episode about movie theaters. I promise it won't be a waste of your time. I'd also like to point out that that's the beauty of this show. You don't have to listen chronologically. And if you hear something interesting that you wanna share with a friend in any of these episodes, go for it. Please, share away. Okay, now that that's out of the way, let's dive right into talking about film festivals. I think I can make the assumption that if you're listening to this show, then you have at least a, a basic understanding of what film festivals are. If you're in the Austin area, the South by Southwest Film Festival should not be a foreign concept to you, no matter if you're in the industry or not. Every year, there's this citywide takeover that is the whole of the South by Southwest music conference and festival. So it's a bit of a pain in the ass for locals, to be quite honest. Sundance, Tribeca, Cannes are all names that come to mind when people talk about film festivals. The filmmaker Q&As, the number of networking opportunities, and the stellar work you get to see before the general public are just some of the reasons why everyone should start attending festivals. I should also take this moment to acknowledge that there's plenty of festivals that are not accessible due to high price, location, invite only, etc. But there are many that offer online options, waivers, and other ways to get credentials, like volunteering or helping out in some way. Today, we're going to be talking about some homegrown fests through the lens of my favorite kind of people, fest people. If you don't know what I mean, let me explain this to you. Fest people are the kind of people who know everything in the indie world. They know which films played where, whether films have gotten distribution. They're filmmaker name droppers. I promise it's not as obnoxious as it sounds. When a fest person talks about these things, it isn't for clouds or showing off their knowledge, any of that. Fest people are crucial to connecting the dots between the audience and filmmakers, something that you just can't get outside the festival environment. They're the ones that spend months pouring over submissions, curating shorts programs, soliciting features, working with teams to pick the best venues, and ultimately putting on a show that makes for a -a one-of-a-kind experience that often leads to the progress of the careers of so many filmmakers. You may be wondering why I'm such a stand for fest people. It's because I was one, and in some ways, I still am. More on that later. Let's pause real quick and touch base with David Gill, who you'll remember from the first episode. He's the former competition director at Austin Film Festival and has made a career as a programmer at the Violet Crown Cinemas in Austin. In short, he's the model fest person. You know, obviously, COVID has presented a lot of challenges and opportunities. You mentioned, you know, we're always going to want to gather. How do you see the future of film festivals and, you know, exhibition kind of looking in the next Year or so as things start to open back up, filmmakers are getting a bit more confident on you know production and and submitting to festivals, going to festivals, things like that. How do you how do you see that changing? Um, and you know, is the value still there for filmmakers to continue to seek out festivals when you know digital streaming is an option?
1: It'll continue to be an important part of a film's journey. A lot of times, and I think this is going to continue to be uh, a thing, is that a lot of times that festival run is their theatrical run, right? Because streamers are picking it up and then literally throwing it on the on online, and you watch it that way. And you know, and, and it, it's also you know because these filmmakers, that's what they do. That's what they want to do, right? They want to make another film. That's the goal: is to keep doing this. And it's hard to turn down getting your investors their money back so you can go in and make the next one right so you know they're they're in a difficult situation whereas you know I, I'm sure they prefer for it to go on the big screen and and um I prefer it to be on the big screen before it's on streaming of course you know it, it's it's going to continue to be a big part of of that journey it, it really will films will need the buzz that was generated that's generated not by just a film festival premiere but by theatrical. Uh, one of the good things that came out, or a positive that I could see that happened during this whole pandemic, was just like you saw movies get a spotlight shown on him that they wouldn't have otherwise had if all of these other movies had their theater. You know what I mean? Like you got to see like, and it was great to see. Like, IFC had a great year; they were releasing stuff at the drive-ins, and it just great stuff. And you, you you just saw all these movies that were getting the spotlight and it was it was great to see. Um now when you look at stuff like awards like the Oscars, I think you people didn't watch a lot of these movies like in terms of viewership, yep. a lot of people didn't watch them, didn't know what was it. And I think a part of that was that it it didn't have the buzz that's generated from this, right? From from festivals and theater. Like and it starts to open you platform the openings after the festival run. And by the time you get people are knocking down your door to see it.
0: David makes a great point here that filmmakers are seeking out another chance to make another film, and that's very contingent on the type of buzz they get. The goal is to get funding, whether it's a sale, another investor in a project, but what does it all mean really? Let's talk to another fest person who can give us a bit more color around what this means.
2: Yeah, so film festivals, <laughs> I would say, are really the thing that captured my passion. And I didn't know what film festivals even were until Austin. And then Austin even then had a few major film festivals and now has a lot of film festivals. So I would say like really the the big thing for me was, um, was that was discovering what it meant to have a culture um, around watching films, talking about films, supporting, um, you know, supporting artists, whether those were the actors or the directors or the producers um, by talking about film. And from there, um, I actually got the opportunity. I had this kind of marriage between like what I was studying at UT and what was available to me kind of on the practical level. And I got to study in Guanajuato, Mexico. That's Jean Lauer,
0: a film scholar and professor at Austin Community College, whose dissertation titled Mexican Film Festivals and Industry Development, Guanajuato, Guadalajara, and Morelia, and the re-emergence of a national film industry was completed in 2016. We met about 11 years ago, and I've come to know her as someone who knows a lot about how money works when it comes
2: to indie film. I volunteered, I did not create, <laughs> uh, but volunteered on the pitching market from year one, and then eventually worked uh, a total of 10 years on the, the pitching market in Guanajuato. And that was also really really eye-opening to um so there's there's this thing where you go to film school and you like watch films and you talk about them right it's very um kind of it I use the word post-production here in a different way than filmmakers use post-production, but it's a very post-production process in film school, right? You watch a film, you interpret it, you say, this is what the director meant, or this is what the screenwriter meant, or look at that acting performance, or look at that lighting. But no one is ever really talking about the set. No one is ever really, truly talking about what it took to get that film made, that it might've taken seven years or 10 years, or, you know, like, just no one really gets, I found in my experience, unless they've worked on film productions, right? People who write about film on the history side, don't really understand the production side. And so what I was really learning about is how important producers were. Producers are really never talked about that much, right? Like I was learning about that. I was learning about how funding structures work in Mexico. And because of, you know, those bringing in international potential funders, I was learning how the international funding system works and doesn't work.
0: You may recognize Jean from her time at Cine Las Americas International Film Festival as festival director, then eventually executive director. She's also taken her expertise to the fantastic market in the past. What's the market, you ask? Let's get the answer from her.
2: Sure. So, yeah, film festivals versus markets. Um, Film festivals are are audience facing uh, with finished films. Right, so it's what most people think of um, when they attend. Like the general public goes to film festivals to buy their badge and watch a movie and enjoy that movie and talk about it with their friends. Um, Or if you're a filmmaker and you do that, like I said, like maybe you're also thinking about networking at at some of the events, some of the parties, getting to maybe meet some of the filmmakers that you admire um, and talk with them, right? So the film festival part of it is a a place where films um, can reach audiences and audiences are interested in in buying their ticket or buying their badge and watching those films. So historically, you know, that was what developed out of Venice and Cannes and, and the early film festivals. And then, you know, in the US, right? We get Sundance much, much later than Venison can, but uh, you know, and then the proliferation of film festivals that's happened, but most film festivals, let's take for example, Cine Las Americas, right? This is, it's a pretty typical um, audience oriented festival. Obviously it exists to, to support filmmakers by showing their films, but the curatorial process is designed right to to welcome our audience in and, and see the latest films from X Y Z countries, talking about A B C topics, and and really you know bringing a few filmmakers in to celebrate their work. Um. When a market is discussed, a market is really a sales, um, it's a sales entity. Now different markets have different purposes. And so when I mentioned Guanajuato and talked about a pitching market, um, there the transaction was very much about teaching at the time uh, Mexican producers were almost non-existent. Actually, this is the early 2000s, like You know, um, it wasn't something that was really cultivated in Mexico. Um, Film schools were really oriented towards uh, writing, directing and cinematography. And so filmmakers were having a hard time getting their film made because there wasn't kind of that key piece of the person who could know the whole project, bring people on board, like see it through financially, things like that. So what the market was designed to do was to kind of connect the creative people working in Mexico um, and some of, there were a few producers at the first market, but to really connect them out to people who had the skill set of production, and so the projects pitched themselves, right, they're like, I have this great idea, um, we'd love to have people come on board in these areas, and and could that happen, and so, and that was that type of market, um, but a market is is maybe not always sales-oriented, but business-oriented. There's transactions hopefully taking place (laughs) around intellectual property. The markets are transactional. Um, You can't attend a market as the general public. You can attend film festivals as the general public. Usually the number one resource you need is money. The the only way (laughs) to make a film is to finance it somehow, right? Um, that can take different forms, but I was really um, fascinated by that and and became passionate about finding ways um, to help, you know, help good projects make those network connections.
0: Ah, got it. So festivals are the more audience oriented experience while the markets are a sales mechanism. Sometimes they're associated with each other, but in many cases, fests are fests and markets exist separately from them. Both, though, are opportunities for filmmakers to get exposure to the right people. So, Jean, how can filmmakers get the most out of participating in festivals and markets?
2: You know, one thing I, I would always say and still say to filmmakers who are like, how do I make it, what do I do? I say, well, start attending film festivals so that you can see what's out there. You can see what the trends are. You can determine like which you want to buck and which you want to fall into because you're going to need to do some of both. Start going and getting to know the people who are programming. Start going and getting to know the people whose films are on the screens because filmmakers attend festivals. You can meet filmmakers by attending festivals. And, you know, just just really commit to the connections, because if you want to make it in the industry, (laughs) your number one toolkit always is who, you know, and make sure they're good people.
0: When I talked to our friend Alfred Cervantes from the Houston Film Commission, who you might remember from episode one, I got his thoughts on fests, too.
1: So my,
3: what I say about film festivals, they are important for filmmakers, and filmmakers should strive to get into notable film festivals. There are a lot of film festivals out there, um, but there is a great list on the um, the, on the Austin Film Society website. Uh, they have a, a travel grant. If you are, look under their grants uh, for filmmakers, they have a list of Uh, international and national film festivals that uh, filmmakers should aim to get into. Of course, they don't put any Texas festivals on there because it's a travel grant to attend festivals outside of our state. But anyway, it's a great list to start from. Of course, we have some great festivals in Texas as well. But um, in fact, uh, I'm going to repeat something I heard at a film festival. And that is that in this day and age where you can watch anything, you can't watch everything. And so film festivals are kind of curators or the gatekeepers or uh, the tastemakers, if you will, for things that they think people should see. Right. It's noteworthy. It's different. It's engaging. These types of things.
0: Let me interject really quickly to remind you all that this right here, this point that he makes about gatekeepers and tastemakers is why you should be seeking out opportunities to become film reviewers so that it's not the same people doing it all the time. If you're interested in learning more about that process, let me know, and we can talk about it. But back to Alfred.
3: Festivals are definitely important for curating what they – whatever – uh, genre they cater to, because uh, like I said, there's a lot of film festivals around. Um, kind of the bigger ones, which are more general, they show all different genres of films, uh, but still they need to go through the thousands of entries and select the ones that they think are notable and get those out into their festival, which will hopefully draw attention to that filmmaker and get get them some attention. And so film festivals are definitely important uh, to filmmakers. And Filmmakers should strive to get into certainly notable ones, ones that get writ- written up in the trades, uh, Hollywood Reporter, Variety, you know, IndieWire, The Wrap, Deadline, these types of things, um, because they do send representatives to these festivals to review and preview the films. And, and honestly, if you're a filmmaker, you don't make a film for no one to see it, right? The goal is to get as many people as possible to see your film. And that still is a great way, even though there are... Uh, many outlets online and great websites, by the way, for short films and uh, some other things. And so uh, but festivals definitely are important. Now, think about festivals, too, is that there is a film festival every three days somewhere. And so uh, uh, about something, uh, I'll just mention a couple that popped up on our radar. Uh, We certainly have the ones that have been around for a decade or more, and they come around every year. But sometimes we have new ones pop up. And uh, just later this month, Houston has a new ho- horror film festival that will be happening later this month. And then we just got a notice from a brand new one, which is called the Houston Underwater Film Festival for f- films only shot underwater. So uh, that, that could be a trippy experience. Oh, so I know Years ago, years ago, uh, and they're still around, too. There's a bicycle film festival, you know, that only shows films about uh, uh, that have bicycles in them. And there's uh, I know there was a food film festival for a while. And so, uh, you know, there are film festivals for niche films uh, or genres. And these are just some of them.
0: Houston has a ton going on in the film festival world, so definitely check those out. Okay, so I know you're probably thinking, okay, you've talked to these people who aren't filmmakers. What about the filmmaker perspective? Okay, first, chill out. And second, I did talk to someone who is a filmmaker and also, you guessed it, a fest person. Kelly Williams is a Texas-based producer who has also had experience as a festival programmer Kelly and I met when I was at Austin Film Festival. And by the time I was on staff, he had already been a seasoned programmer who had relationships with a wide range of filmmakers and producers across the country. So I want to talk a little bit about your experience in film festivals, not only from the programming perspective, but also um, kind of the broader landscape of film festivals and why it's important for filmmakers, especially in a market like Texas. Can you talk a little bit about that?
4: Festivals really like really for me as a producer and a filmmaker, what, how I, I got foot, my foot in the door, you know, uh, in the industry as a, as a total outsider is, you know, I'm, I'm born and raised Texan and, and didn't know anyone in the industry, you know? And, uh, so coming up as a film programmer and working at various film festivals and particularly AFF, like that sort of, taught me a lot in a weird way. It was like, I was in grad school for like over a decade, you know, just like prepping to be a producer in a strange way. Cause it just, you know, I, I learned a lot doing that. I learned a lot about what works and what doesn't work in films. And, uh, and I, I firmly believe you can learn a lot by watching bad movies. And sometimes there were some that come came in that were submitted. And so, you know, but there's that, not just that, but it's also, it's like, uh, when we work together, you know, that like, you know, our job was, you know, working with the filmmaker to help them see the rest of their vision, you know, see, to see their vision projected in front of an audience, you know, and that's that's part of the, the, the film's journey and the filmmaker's journey with their project. So, you know, that that's part of the component, you know, so it taught me a lot uh, down the road when I was on the other side of the coin, you know, uh, but yeah, but film festivals are super important. Just as, like I said, as an outsider, you know, trying to work their way up the ladder. Essentially, and it it wasn't for film film festivals believing in me as a producer, um, like Sundance Labs, um, or just film festivals playing films, you know, that that we produce that we probably, probably wouldn't be having this conversation
0: in a state where there are so many film festivals so many like large festivals i mean even just in austin you know they're south by aff just so many huge fests how do you kind of manage or i guess navigate choosing the right ones for the projects that you're working on
4: sometimes it just matters like when you need you know when you're you're rolling the film out you know like when the timing is right whether that's a spring festival and or a fall festival and And the because because movies seem to be you know getting to audiences mass audiences quicker now to me it's like the festival circuit's almost now split in two and divided by the summer so you're kind of playing spring festival circuit or the fall festival circuit so it kind of just depends on when the movie's done and how you're taking it out and and whatnot um so that sometimes that will dictate how you pick you know
0: Makes total sense. Depending on where you are in production may dictate which fests to go after. But in my experience, that's a tough decision for filmmakers to make. As filmmakers, we have this dream of premiering at this one specific festival for whatever reason we've convinced ourselves that isn't arbitrary. We're dreamers, remember? Festival timing is something that's different for everyone, and there truly is no umbrella strategy for that. Just got to go with what works for your circumstances. Okay, I guess now is a good time as ever to circle back to when I mentioned that I'm a fest person. Yes, it's true. I, your good friend, Samantha Ray Lopez, is a fest person. I'm a fest person because I literally went to film school because I attended Austin Film Festival in high school. And it rocked my world. At the time, the Young Filmmakers Program at AFF allowed for me and two other students to come and experience the conference. With our badges hung around our necks, we were soaking in the atmosphere of the loud chatter in the Driscoll Hotel. Listening to other people's stories and how they navigated their careers was the first time I had ever heard professionals in the film industry talking about their day-to-day challenges and wins and things like that. This was also the first time I had seen films that I hadn't already looked up on IMDb and knew when their release date was. Remember, this was around the time I was working at the movie theater, so I thought I knew everything. AFF was a total mindfuck, and I knew that working in film production was the direction I wanted to go in life. As a senior in high school, nothing mattered to me more than finding a way to go to film school. Fast forward to four years later, I'm hired to work as a production manager six weeks out from the festival. Their former production manager had a personal emergency, and I stepped in. Knowing absolutely nothing about the inner workings of how a festival runs, I jumped in head first because the executive director, Barbara Morgan, believed that I could do it. And I did it. And then again, and then again for a third year in a row. Then I became the assistant to the executive director, which was definitely not, let's just say, aligning with my purpose. So I departed about a year later. What I can say about my time at AFF is that I was plugged into so many aspects of a filmmaker's journey that it reinforced my love for production and passion to help filmmakers get their work seen. Similar to Kelly's experience, it gave me the perspective to understand what works and doesn't work, and it prepped me to be a better film reviewer slash critic, but really being able to incorporate that production aspect as well. Since I departed from AFF, I still plug into fest in various ways. I'm a volunteer film reviewer for Sina Las Americas Film Festival, and this year I added Atlanta Film Festival to my roster. I also participate in the review committee for the AFS grant, which you'll hear more about in coming episodes. And I share this with you because remember when I interrupted Alfred earlier when he was talking about gatekeepers and tastemakers? It's super important for diverse voices to be part of that process. If this is something that you want to seek out, Start contacting festivals, see what their process is, and just get started. It does take a certain kind of time commitment and skill, so just be conscious of that. Again, happy to give you more info. You know how to hit me up. Okay, let's move on to more fest people. I really want y'all to hear this conversation I had with husband and wife duo Harry and Linda Eadie at the Denton Black Film Festival. Their fest is about six years old, and they're leaning all the way into what filmmakers need while elevating black filmmakers.
5: So my wife and I were at a film festival. And so while we were there, we were talking and we said, you know, you don't really see a lot of black cinema. That was, you know, eight years ago. And so with that, I said, hey, maybe uh, I'll talk to uh, the board about doing a, uh, a black film festival. And my wife said, oh, yeah, Lord. Said,
6: OK, here he goes again. <laughs> we'll see what happens. But then he gave, pitched the idea to a couple of friends, three more friends than we have. And they thought that was kind of a cool idea. So they started having these breakfast meetings and things and getting together. And then I saw they were coming up with a plan and they were really serious about doing this. So then, you know, I tend to be more of the, at that time, especially more of the operational end and then I got involved in the film uh, part of it. So, you know, I said they're working, let me go ahead and jump in with both feet. So we just started working on this, this festival and it was 2015 that we had our first festival.
0: Originally started as a fundraiser for the Denton African American Scholarship Foundation, the festival grew exponentially year over year and has established itself in the area as much more than just a film festival.
5: So to some extent, we were really event planners. And so we were pretty good at operational, I think, excellence. And so all of us were really kind of, you know, geared toward trying to produce something that probably similar to you that we would be proud of, right? So we, we said, let's see if we if we transported ourselves to a New York or San Francisco or, you know, L.A., you know, that's the kind of uh, crowd that we would want to have an appreciation for what we're doing.
6: And then, you know, we realized, too, at one point, and I think that it was that second year that we added what spoken word to the festival, because we realized, too, film, uh, while it remained, and to this day, it remains the heart of the festival that there are other cultural elements and other ways of expression that we've always wanted to explore. So through the years, we have added different elements of that uh, too, so that it kind of evolved into really a cultural festival. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and we always say that we do two things. We share black culture and we build community. So we've just kind of expanded our footprint and what we do and what we provide for the community each year you know, and we kind of think we're a little bit crazy because we're, you know, we have all these things going on. So it's balancing a lot of different balls.
5: And and so what we want to do, uh, we really liken ourselves to a cross between Sundance and South by Southwest because we are a multidisciplinary platform. So film is definitely our anchor, but we also have music, spoken word, comedy, um, we initiated an institute uh, three years ago. Uh, we introduced screen dance and yes, we
6: have traditional art poetry. Yeah, and we have a really good art, visual art, visual art, you know, element of our festival as well. Yeah. So each year we kind of add on different things. We introduced screen dance last year, but now this year we're using it as a category that people can actually submit, you know, their screen dance films to us.
5: As well as original music.
6: Yeah, as well. In which we started original music videos last year too. In addition
0: to all of the different elements of the event itself, the EDs are equipping the filmmaking community through the DBFF Institute.
5: There, there was really not a lot of training, not a lot of guidance. So when people are trying to understand the craft, uh, it's really more challenging. So what we've we decided is that it would be really good to create uh, an institute thereby uh, equipping um, uh, people of color, black filmmakers, right, and creative. So, you know, we focus on um, black filmmakers, Latino filmmakers, Hispanic filmmakers, really anyone of color, as well as, you know, if, you, if you're white, you know, blue, Nine green, ten ten. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter. We just say, here's a place for you. If you are growing in your understanding of the film industry or visual arts or music, this may be a place for you to collaborate. And so almost all of what we do is, is free, right? And so we find ways to provide that to, um, you know, filmmakers and creatives. In fact, you know, we, we're doing, um, Panavision is a big sponsor of ours now. So we, we do uh, four yearly uh, set, I mean, four training sessions per year. Uh, we also are doing some partnerships with uh, other companies now, like Black Film Space, uh, we're hoping to do more things with um, other companies. We're doing things with Black Public Media, which is a great partner. Uh, there's a organization out of Atlanta uh, that we're working with as well. You know, so we're we we're, we're just reaching out, trying to understand more about what the needs of creatives are and uh, filmmakers, and and really kind of provide some value. Right. Don't
6: forget the voice and vision program we have with Panavision yeah. right
5: now, too. So one of the things we, we established, thank you, honey. Mm-hmm. One of the things we established is that with uh, Panavision, I'm not a big person on um, doing dog and pony shows, right? Mm-hmm. So I like real work to be done. So one of the things we talked to Panavision about is really highlighting filmmakers that um, other people may not know. So they uh, created a voice and vision we work with them. And so we highlight monthly um, filmmakers from all around the country or different parts of the world, right? And we they talk about their projects, they talk about behind the scenes kind of things that people can look at. And so they get a chance to tell their story, creates a branding opportunity for them, a branding opportunity for um, uh, Panavision. So DEI is a big buzzword today. What we want to do is make that you know, meaningful, right? So we're not doing it just to help people brand. We, we're doing it because we think it's the right thing to do. People have some compelling stories and they they want to tell them. So we're getting a number of views on, on the voice and vision with Panavision. So we're really uh, pleased with that uh, relationship.
0: Can you talk a bit about the kind of programming to expect from DBFF? Yeah. Yeah.
5: And, and I think we also pivoted a few years ago and realized that our tagline was entertain educate and inspire but we realized that if all we did was entertain we would really be missing the mark so really a lot of our focus is on education so my wife was instrumental in really kind of pointing us to um, work that needed to be done in in topics like mental health um, environmental justice um, depression and you know just just a lot of issues that people deal with
6: And we know that, you know, whether it's, you know, environmental issues where people are food shortages, problems with water, you know, there's housing issues. There's all kinds of issues that people are impacted by now. And it's especially showing up now, you know, health Mm -hmm. disparities, the prison system needs repairing or really almost being needs to be recreated. Uh, (laughs) So all those things are going on simultaneously and it can be kind of exhausting. There's so much you can feel like, God, what do I do? What do I, you know, and then there's just so much, you know, information, misinformation, everything else. So we thought, you know, one thing that we could do with this platform is to host some conversations to bring in, have some films. And then, you know, we can talk to filmmakers or have a topic, you know, if we like it last time we did a last this past year, 2021, our festival, we talked about environmental justice, how people become uh, accidental environmentalists because of things happening in their neighborhood or, you know, just where they live that's impacting them. Um, You know, we talked about housing and how that impacted Fort Worth. They were closing the oldest uh, housing project that they had. So we had a short film about that and another film about just housing because the history of it. Once you understand, you can see how certain cities, why, how you have these ghettos or these areas, impoverished areas in cities, and you see that some things were done intentionally. And you see there's a pattern and the government was complicit in a lot of this. But, you know, these are things we haven't known, you know, that are coming out, shedding, you know, we're getting light on it. And then, but it's not just wallowing on what happened in the past, but also who are the people that are doing the work now? What can we do to help? You know, how do you make a difference? How do you understand the issue and then do whatever your part is? Mm-hmm. You know, so that's part of what we want to do with the social justice issues that we, you know, bring up or our other issues, you know, with this domestic violence. I mean, we covered a lot of stuff this last festival. I think we were on steroids, but there's so much going on and so many issues and so much we thought we can at least, you know, shed a light on some of them.
5: What my wife has done, too, is uh, when horror was not a big issue. A genre for black filmmakers, but uh, before it became a little more mainstream with Get Out and some other things, my wife started, you know, talking to filmmakers because I, you know, heard her saying, "Hey, uh, what about horror films? Are you are you doing horror films? Or other people?" And it's, "Oh, I know this person is doing." Horror. So she began to kind of curate, you know, some horror films, right, uh, from uh, from filmmakers, right? And there are other things that she wants, and she'll go out and start curating them like a year or two before. They're out. And so I think that's another thing that, you know, kind of brings people to the festival because they're going to see things that they don't normally see at your film festivals, right?
6: You know, so we go to look at a variety of sources. We realize, too, that, you know, we try to, what we want to do is really show uh, that Black people and people of color, we have a wide range of experiences and things. It's not just a one trick pony or one thing. This type of film is all that we do. Uh, So we try to offer really a variety of topics within the films themselves and, you know, genres and everything. We're open to many different things because we realize that while it may not be my personal favorite, but it's someone else. I try to have a film team and looking at these films. Each submission receives at least three eyeballs on it. And then, you know, we talk and work it out in terms of what can be in the festival. So. So that we do have, you know, the things that we know will appeal to different people. You know, so I always say if you can't find a film that you like at our festival, I don't, I mean, you know, you just don't like film, you're not breathing, because there is something there that would be, you know, would be of interest, you yeah. know. And we like I have a particular weakness for documentaries and two by two. And I've grown to love short films so much. And you know, that's something short films and something that people get exposed exposed to a lot.
0: Harry and Linda also mentioned that the DBFF audience continues to grow and that this year's festival will look a little bit differently in that they're planning a hybrid event with the inclusion of a tech expo focusing on technologies like AR and VR. The festival kicks off on January 26, which is a date you should remember every year because it's my birthday. But check out their website to get more information on the fest and let me know if you go because I'm definitely planning on being there. Another fest that's doing things a bit differently is the Austin Art House Film Festival. Unlike many of the other Austin-based festivals, this one has a specific focus on art house films. What does that mean? I talked with Giselle De La Rosa about how the fest started, their mission, and what the fest looks like post-COVID.
7: So I came back from New York and ended up on set with Liz, and we were talking about, like, Austin's missing something. You know, Austin has a lot to offer. Of course, in the industry. But there was like a a certain kind of art form, a certain kind of filmmaking that that we just didn't really see. Um, and we've talked about like going to film festivals and like maybe seeing one or two like art house films that were really like nuanced and thought-provoking and just like visually stunning. And we were like Why don't we do a film festival here where that is everything? Like that is our entire roster, and then we bring people in from all around the world. We will always have a presence for our fellow Austin filmmakers, but we wanted to create a community that was just like nuanced, you know. And so we created Austin Art House Film Festival, and we. You know, we've been to film film festivals before and Liz has created a number of um, projects on her own previous with other partners um, before and since. And so I know that she's gone to many film festivals. And we kind of just like, you know, what do we want to see at a film festival? And then, like, what can we get away with? And also, we don't know what we're doing, but we're just going to try it. And so we're now getting ready for our fourth year, but we started at the AFS Cinema and um, it's pretty intimate. It's a one night only uh, event. And we focused on shorts because we wanted to get as much work as possible and we wanted to connect these artists to an audience and an audience to these particular artists. And uh, I think we had a really great time. I think that first night was like one of the best nights that I've had here in Austin. Um, It was really fulfilling. We were excited to meet our filmmakers finally. There was a couple of hotels that were going to give us some deals, but then a lot of them were already booked up because of F1. And um, I like reached out to my friends on Facebook and was like, does anybody have, a, if you have an Airbnb, please list here, trying to get some people in from out of town. And and some people opened up their homes even that don't have Airbnbs to our filmmakers. And and some of these people aren't even like super close friends of mine. They were just willing to to open up their homes to artists. And I think some of them ended up becoming friends. And yeah, so that was really fun and uh you know we were thinking what can we do differently for next year and we just did more films um it is one night so it can be a little overwhelming if you are at the theater for three hours and we tried to break it up we had um filmmaker q a's in the middle of the blocks and then for the third year which was last year we almost didn't even do 2020 and not because of the pandemic but we just wanted to shift from busy festival time to like January. We were thinking, I think people are just start, like are maybe even thinking about recouping from the holidays and the prior year and and it might be chilly. So maybe we could get people to come to the theater and get cozy. And then we just took the opportunity last minute to be like, instead of doing January, well, let's just do virtual and we'll push it to December. We'll push it back a month. And that proved to be successful, the virtual fest, um, because we were able to get more filmmakers in there and we were able to expand our programming from short films to mid lengths. And we even had a couple of feature films in there. And then we got to hear from all of the filmmakers. So we asked them to make a video introducing their work. And then we, we have awards. And because we didn't have to spend thousands of dollars on a theater rental, we were able to give them back to the filmmakers, which is so cool to do. And, and that was one of the things that I've been wanting to do since we started was, let's give people money. <laughs> let's give independent artists money. Um, so that was really great. And I think the hope is when you do something that more people can access, that more people do come and um, I think our ticket sales were the highest um since we've had the festival so that was a really great thing i mean we really missed being in the theater you know there's nothing like it and so um we're hoping that we can um make that happen this year
0: do you Do you anticipate, you know, you made the point about, you know, accessibility, more people are able to kind of participate. Do you see next year being a hybrid or, you know, 100% in person and,
7: you know, virtual was just kind of the one-time thing? In the future, we might do an addition. We might do an addition um, virtual, but we definitely want to get back into the theater and then Um, We have been talking about expanding not so much as like a road show or taking it on the road, but like having like a chapter in L.A. and a chapter in, in New York City. We have been throwing out that idea and we haven't come to a conclusion, but, you know, it's just the two of us and and sometimes. It's a lot of work, but um, I think one of the great things about it is that we can basically do whatever we want, but we, you know, we want to do more. I'd I'd love to like take care of people's airfare and hotel one day um, and continue on with the prizes and with a a prize money. We've tried to keep people engaged. We started doing like these 48-hour film contests um, that was all online on Vimeo and started an art journal or a film journal called Art House Quarterly, um, just trying to keep people engaged and also spotlight underrepresented voices and also emerging filmmakers that have come up through our community. But there's always been an evolution to the film festival and and what it can can provide to our community, um, which I think is a great thing.
0: In terms of getting the call for entries out and in front of the right people, um, I know, you know, you mentioned that your festival is very specific in terms of how it's programmed. How do you ensure that your programming maintains that integrity of the overall vision um, and getting in front of the right artists to participate?
7: I mean, we we have it open to everyone, and we're pretty explicit about what it is for it to be an art house film. There are films that come through that aren't art house, um, and I think at this point it might be word of mouth or like audience members that have had friends in the the filmmaker the filmmaker showcase. I mean, I've. I've scouted a few people um or if I like follow certain artists on Instagram and I've been like love your stuff have you ever have you ever thought about being in a film festival because a lot of it isn't actually film it's it's more like art like digital art uh, storytelling type it, it's not quite like a like a film and like am like I love your graphics. Uh, if you ever want to do anything, let me know, and and we'd love to take a look at like your your submitted work.
0: How can people find more information about the festival? Is it mainly through your website, through Instagram? What's the best way to to kind of get involved in the community?
7: All of the information is usually shared between our website and Instagram. If you go to thearthousefilmfestival.com, you can get all of the information there. And there's links to uh, previous years, previous years, um, filmmakers. That's something that we love doing is creating, like, I like to call it a little bit of a lookbook so you can see. Who our filmmakers are, where they're from, what they're doing, and you can have access to their—not uh, necessarily their work—but um, if you go to our Vimeo page, we do have a number of films up there. Um, but then also the Art House Quarterly. If you wanted to submit your film, you can learn more about how to do that. That's all through Film Freeway. Yeah, so we're. We're experimenting with the name. So right now we have the Art House Film Festival, um, and that's due in part to wanting to expand a little bit.
0: What I love about the story of this festival is that the ability to adapt is a sign of true resilience and passion to bring opportunities to artists. Shout out to Giselle and Liz for keeping up the fight and continuing to thrive. These are just two fests out of a ton of other festivals in the state. So that brings us to the part of the episode where I do a quick lightning round of festivals that you should be aware of. I guess this will be a recurring segment since I obviously can't cram everything into one episode about a certain topic. So yeah, just a heads up. That'll be a thing. Okay, so first up is QFest, based out of Houston. This 25-year-old festival promotes the arts and presents programs by, about, and of interest to the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and queer community. If you want to hear more from the organizers, stay tuned because we're going to be chatting with them in a future episode. Hosted at the Historic Guadalupe Theater on San Antonio's west side, Cine Festival is the longest running Latinx festival in the country. Focusing on Latino, Chicano, Mexican-American fare, this fest has a lot of heart and is worth checking out. Also, San Antonio is a charm, uh, my hometown, so let's hang out. The Binational International Film Festival is out of El Paso, Texas, and check out this blurb I found online about the fest. The festival is a celebration of multinational filmmakers, producers, writers, and actors from Canada, Chile, Mexico, Argentina, Italy, the U.S., and more. The eight-day event features documentaries, shorts, and feature-length films, as well as Q&A sessions, panel discussions, and award ceremony. If this doesn't inspire you, I don't know what will. All their promo is bilingual-friendly, too, so it's truly accommodating to a wider audience here. Literally Short Film Festival is based out of Houston, and they have a local and fresh section of their fest for filmmakers from Texas or productions shot in Texas. Obviously, that one's exclusive to short film submissions. There's a bunch of other midsize festivals I think already get a lot of press, but if you don't know about these, you should. Dallas Video Fest, ATX Television Festival, Oak Cliff Film Festival, Comic Palooza Film Festival, Other Worlds Austin Sci Fi Film Festival, Women Texas Film Festival, and then, you know, a ton more. This state is so vast. There are fests for everyone in every region. Do you know of any festivals that are doing cool stuff? Please let me know so I can do some digging. It's obvious that film festivals are crucial to connecting filmmakers to audiences through these gatherings. Sure, money makes the industry run round, but there are a number of ways to see some cool stuff by some real filmmakers, and you don't have to be a fest person to do it. Thanks to David Gill, Gene Lauer, Alfred Cervantes, Kelly Williams, Harry and Linda Eadie, and Giselle De La Rosa for contributing to this episode. As always, I want to hear from you, so please hit me up on Twitter Instagram with any fest that I should know about. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at S-Ray Lopez, that's S-R-A-E-L-O-P-E-Z, and follow Hyper Real Film Club on Instagram at Hyper Real Film Club or at the website hyperrealfilm.club. Thanks for listening to the second episode of Hyper Real Film Club Presents Texas Film in Focus. Stay tuned for the next one where I'll talk to more people about another aspect of why Texas is such a vibrant film community that breeds great stories and highly skilled talent. Texas Film in Focus is produced and hosted by me, Samantha Ray Lopez. Our editor sound designer is Laura Rivero. And our podcast admin assistant is Chloe Carcamo. Special thank you to Hyper Real Film Club for letting me do whatever I want. And of course, the Texas Commission on the Arts.